I'm going to try something a little bit different. I'm going to give you guys a heads up about who I have coming on the podcast for the future episodes. So that way you guys can email me your questions or things that you want to know about from that person ahead of time. So that way we can get you guys more involved in the show as well. So for example, the next episode, we're going to have Chris Granrude from JT Outdoor Products, who's the sales manager of JT Outdoor Products and is also the owner and operator of Rainy Days Guy Service up in International Falls, Minnesota. So if you guys got some questions, not only about products, but about fishing, maybe starting a guide business, send me an email. For the last you are listening to the Freshwater Bite Podcast. Oh, it feels good. It feels good to be back. This feels right. It's been a little bit, but we have Mark Martin, a.k.a. the original champ here from Michigan. Mark joins me today to not only talk about his brief, well, not really brief history of fishing. The guy's been doing it for a very long time. But, you know, you kind of see different sides and kind of like the background uh, behind the scenes of what it takes to um, promote and be successful in the fishing industry. He talks about the early days with his grandpa and his dad, how he got started, how he got intertwined with Gary Roach, crossing paths with Al Linder, it's really cool and really insightful about how this guy got started. And, you know, it's a longer episode, but it just shows how passionate this guy is, not only about walleye fishing, but just the outdoors in general. I mean, we tie in walleye fishing and whitetail hunting together. I mean, who does that? But somehow we found a way to do it. And, uh, you know, there's a reason why he's so successful and still prevalent today. Um, we also talk about some walleye fishing scenarios in uh, gin clear water and how to get those fish to bite. So there's just a lot of information here, guys. So if you're driving on a road trip, turn it up. Here's Mark Martin. All right. Well, hey, welcome to uh, the podcast and uh, thanks for coming on to do this. Oh, hey, that's no problem. I really appreciate everything, Lee. Uh, I'm just getting my book opened up here so I have some of my props handy so when i look for names or you know stuff we're talking about i i can quickly look it up instead of too much stuttering and stammering here ah no worries keeping yourself organized appreciate it yeah got to <laughs> hey so where are we talking at uh where are you at in the world right now uh, i'm just in twin lake right now uh over by muskegon uh that's where i live right here in twin lake i i'm kind of odd that at this time of year, I'm not somewhere else, but I, I kind of enjoy it. I can get my work done. Right. And, uh, you know, now I have uh, uh, time to do it, it seems like. And and finally, I got home. I've been uh, all around Isle Royale, been up in the UP, been on tournaments, uh, and things just get put aside for a while. And I, I can get caught up on my writings and I can get caught up on getting all my schools for the winter time ready. And, you know, so it's kind of a good thing. Yeah. I see you've been spending a lot of time up on the Keweenaw, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm heading back up there 
the middle of September to do some more outdoor writer and TV stuff up there because the fishing gets really, really good. They're putting on the feed bag and everything you're going to go fish for is, uh, you know, ready to bite. And then you got the, the salmon and the lake trout are coming into spawn and, and the salmon are coming into spawn into the river. So you got a lot of things coming closer to where you're going to do things so it's a lot of fun to get up there and experience it and i also uh, drew a bear tag so oh, I, i'm gonna i'm gonna be bear hunting here for the first time i my buddies talked me into it since i got a place right there and i i got the third season so the 25th uh, of, of october through the 26th of november and they got got me set up. They said, we're going to get you a bear, Mark. And I says, cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, finally, putting in for all those points, you got enough to uh, to draw a tag. Yep, yep, exactly. You know, I, I it's the first one that I've ever gotten. And, and I figured, well, I'm up there doing fishing. I, it's it's going to be another little break from, from that. And I have all the deer hunting I've done. This will be the first bear hunt. Well, awesome. We wish you luck with that. Well, thanks a lot. And, uh, you know, so you were just rambling off a lot of things that you got coming up, going on. Um, you're writing. You've got, um, you said, your ice fishing school. Before we get yep. into all that kind of stuff, no one gets that far in their career without some kind of beginnings or success. Can you can you just tell everyone briefly? I, I mean, everyone's got to know who you are by now. You're a, you're a very dominant name in the walleye industry and fishing industry in general. But just... Tell everybody in general who you are and, and what you do. Well, I'm Mark Martin. I'm the original champion of the professional walleye trail, uh, the PWT, the In Fisherman uh, Walleye Trail. And uh, I've started back in 1985 in the MWC. Uh, that was the, the beginnings of the walleye tournaments uh, where you had actual head-to-head competition. Otherwise, it was just local events or little, you know, w- you know, year-long tournaments where you get the biggest fish or you had a weekend tournament here and there where that was the biggest fish uh, and, and that kind of stuff prior to the 85 uh, MWC, uh, you know, that was called the Manufacturer's Walleye circuit back then and that was the beginning of everything and i worked as a a tool and die punch press operator a welder uh you know everything back in the day in the um, automotive industry making car parts and furniture parts uh you know and you know just did whatever i had to to to, you know, I know the meaning of working 40 hours and breathing bad fumes and sweating and working in a hundred some degree, uh, you know, conditions and shops. And, you know, and I always had that dream back when I was young, um, you know, and from five years old on, I had that dream in my heart that I wanted to be a fisherman. I didn't know what kind of fisherman. I just wanted to make a living at fishing. I didn't know at the time what what it was. Uh, I just knew that uh, I I wanted to be in the fishing world. So I made sure that I, you know, figured out where to go and, and uh, you know, and who to meet and, and stuff like that. You kind of 
you had your heroes, uh, you know, even back then you knew who you wanted to uh, meet as at a young age, you know, there wasn't much out there, you know, right. I'd go to Wally Tabor shows, you know, and Wally Tabor would, would go around the United States and, and all over really, and have, he'd come back and he'd come to your town and show what his adventures for the year was, whether it was hunting and fishing and where he went. And so that was kind of my, um, insight on the outside world and then you had sports of field outdoor life and that kind of magazines field and stream and that's how i got my information and then when my dad and grandpa took me fishing which was all the time because they loved it um i talked to people on the bank out in the boats uh, along the lake banks you know river banks you know you know anybody that was having more success than i was I was all in for it. You know, I was asking questions and being a kid, they'd give you the answers. So that was the, the cool part of it. Yeah. Uh, for any kids listening out there, you know, it's a little bit different when a grown man or someone like that asks for some tips in our fishing spot. But for some reason, everyone's got a soft spot for kids. So if you're a kid, <laughs> first start gathering some information now. Yeah. My dad and grandpa, you know, they, you know, back then I'd disappear, you know, I had a watch. They'd tell me you'd be back at a certain time, but they didn't worry about nowadays. I probably, you wouldn't do that. You know, you couldn't, plus there's so much private property, you know, right. you just couldn't clamor all over the place without getting in trouble. Right. So back in those days, then my grandpa and dad go, where you been? What would you see? What'd you catch? What, you know, so so I, I'm, I'm telling them, you know, who I talked to, what they were telling me, and and then they are gleaning that, you know, from me, and I'm gleaning stuff from my dad and grandpa, and so I'm gleaning things from a lot of different people, uh, and learning from reading and watching. And then there's TV shows, there's Virgil Ward, and then there was the first In Fisherman that came out with Al Linder, and right. and then there the then I, you know knew there was Gary Roach. I mean, that this is going back into the 80s and 70s and stuff like that. And they had a few more smaller tournaments out west and in those states out there than they'd had. So I was reading, you know, competition stuff back then. And then I um, just kind of, you know, became, you know, I, I seen people coming to me after I got older and I, you know, turned into my late teens and early 20s, you know, they, they'd asked me, can you take me out fishing? Because they knew what my dad and grandpa were catching, but they were like tight lipped. They were the kind of people, they didn't tell you nothing. No. And, and, and that was just the way it was. And my dad and grandpa, they had it down pat, you know, as far as night walleye fishing. They knew exactly. They were way ahead of their time. They didn't keep more. They kept one fish piece every time we went out at night. And you had to keep that fish alive. Otherwise, you were done fishing. So you rode. <laughs> so you're, you're, we had a saltwater cooler, and we'd put the fish in there. And then you took a bucket out, of water out once in a while, and put a bucket of water back in, and you made sure your fish stayed alive. That was our, our aerator. <laughs> and it was a pretty good-sized saltwater cooler. And so it, we managed to pretty much always keep them alive, but we'd only be allowed one. So if you got a bigger one that you wanted to keep, you took out your other one, threw it back in the water. Ah, oh, I got gotcha. you. 
Yeah, so you never kept. I never caught my kept my limit of. I mean, caught my limit of fish pretty much all the time with my dad and grandpa, but I never kept a limit. We never had more than three in the boat. You know, at, at one time, my entire growing up life. And then, you know, but we'd stop at the bait shops once in a while or at the local grocery and, and weigh these big walleyes. And so people knew there's these people that, you know, with this little kid that come in with and catch these giant walleyes. And that's about all they knew. They didn't know what we caught them on. They didn't, weren't really sure how we did what we did. But they were always curious. So as I got older, people were willing to pay me to go fishing. And I knew I had to have a captain's license. So I went out and I got a captain's license uh, the first time I tried. And I was self-taught. I didn't go to a school. I didn't go to anything. I just grabbed a bunch of books and I just sat down and studied probably better than I did when I was in school for geography and math and and all that kind of stuff. I poured because I wanted it. Right. You know, I, I was driven. I knew I had to have it if I wanted to make a living, you know, being a guide, a captain, uh, you know, any of that stuff. So I uh, got everything I needed and I just, you know, just studied and studied and had flashcards and you know and when I thought I was ready I seen where the nearest uh, test was being done and I headed out there and uh, and I there's a school it was a school that was uh, there you know I didn't know there's even schools you know that's how far behind the curve I was I thought you had to study on your own to, to get there and there's a whole class, and there, and the teacher was quizzing all the students that he had, and I'm just standing there leaning against the wall waiting for the test to start. And, you know, he was asking them questions, and I'm like, wow, I know that answer. I know that answer. I know that answer. And when, you know, I, people wouldn't answer, you know, they wouldn't, nobody would say, well, that's the answer. I'd, I'd kind of raise my hand and go, uh, sir, can I interject, uh, you know, you know, I just want to ask and see if I'm right. You know, I don't want to interrupt your class, but I, you know, after I see nobody's going to answer the question and I'd answer it. And he goes, yeah, you're right. And then after a bunch of them, he goes, well, who are you? And how did you, you know, get to where you knew all this stuff? You know, and I said, I taught myself. School hard so knocks kinda, with dad and grandpa. Yeah, right. Hard knocks and reading and studying and, you know, I'm, I'm ready. You know, I want to be, you know, a, a guide here. And so I went into the test and back then, and I think it's still this way, if you miss one part, you can take it the same day and still pass the whole thing. But you miss two parts of this, the thing, you're done for quite a few months. Mm. Uh, so I went in there and I grabbed the test. I looked through there and bum, 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 bum. I was, I was done. I was the first one out of the door. The teacher goes, um, boy, you got done real, rather quickly. I go, yeah, yeah, well, that was pretty easy. The first part was I said, he goes, well, did you really read them? And I says, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the the test guy would come, came back out and says to everybody, uh, you know, okay, this is who passed the first one. My name wasn't there. 
I, I, and the teacher looked at me <laughs> and, 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 uh, and the class looked at me like, you know, here, here is this kid that knew everything. And now he didn't even pass it. And the teacher told me, he said, looked me right in the face. And he said, you got to read this. And the thing you're looking for that we didn't get to that I was said in my class that everybody here knows is will, shall, and can in that. And in each sentence you read, you know, if it's will, you will do it. So there's only going to be one answer. Shall, well, there could be a couple of different answers in there. And can, there's a variance also. So, but when you see those three words, you better study that question a little bit better. And then I passed the rest of them, and I took the first part over again, and I passed it, and I walked out. And then, the, you know, so that that made me proud that I did that on my own, you know. And I now I had a captain's license. I could take people out fishing. And, right. And, and I was busy, you know, between um, working 40 hours a week and – uh, you know, doing my guiding seven days a week. I couldn't work 40 hours, more than 40 hours, but that's what I had to work to keep my job eight hours a day for five days a week. And I, but I, seven days a week, I guided from uh, midnight to six in the morning, midnight to six in the morning. I did steelhead trips in the daytime and stuff in different times of the year, but my main forte was night walleye fishing. Nighttime so, fishing, yeah. And so that was, uh, you know, my, my start right there. I was working at, you know, the shops for 40 hours. I'd get out, I'd work second shift so that I'd get out of work at 11, meet my customers at midnight, go you know, get back at six, seven in the morning, go to bed, get up at two and start it all over again. And this went on for nine years straight, almost 10 years. I did this and, the thing was, is now where did the tournament fishing fit in? Right. You know, you know, where, where did you have time? And I still don't know how I did it, but I, was that, was that during the 10 years while you were guiding or was that at at the end? Oh, okay. Okay. I got you. No, no, this was all, now I had three jobs. So I, the only way I could do it, I used all my vacation days, Mm -hmm. all my sick time. Which, how many did you get back then? Oh, geez. I, back then, because I worked at this place quite a few years, so I had like about, um, you know, three weeks coming to me in vacation, and I had like two weeks in sick time. So I had about five weeks. But if you went, you would start getting rode up if you went beyond that. So right. you hoped you didn't get sick. So I'd take a week for every tournament between pre-fishing and the tournament and uh and go and do it you know i i that's just uh the way that i you know you you went there to win it well you couldn't do it on a two three day thing if you gave yourself a week you had a pretty good idea of there was weather changes in that week you 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 had areas you could go catch fish you know no matter what so uh i had to have that so now, now I'm fishing a full circuit, the MWC, and I think my second year, um, you know, I met Gary Roach at a at a um, Detroit 
seminar. Yeah, I wanted. Should... I read this somewhere. I wanted to get into this. You were like almost like a protege of his, or he kind of took you on. Yeah, your, uh, yeah. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, and that kind of led into meeting Gary, even though I read about him and I knew. I you know it's kind of weird. Nobody told me how how to conduct myself or go after things. But, you know, back then sponsors would come to you. So I, even before I fished tournaments, because I did so well at guiding and I caught monster fish at night, sponsors came to me and wanted me to use their lure. So my first real sponsor in my life was Rapala. Not a a bad first sponsor. No, and that was before I even fished tournaments. Wow. Yeah, right. Not a bad first, you know, for a kid you know, in early twenties. And so I, I was pretty excited about that, you know, and, and other people would come up. Fenwick came to me and, um, a few other different people came, but Gary was instrumental in teaching me the business, uh, you know, and he had, he had been in the business for quite a few years, been making a living at it, guiding and all like that over in Minnesota. And, I read his articles, and so when I had the opportunity to meet him, I had, I came, instead of being one of the people that just come up to you at a sports show and go, hey, I, you know, I really wanted to meet him, blah, 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 and, you know, and, and you know, and he knew who I was, kind of, you know, but we never met, and but he heard of me. And so I wanted to make an impression. If you want to make an impression on somebody, you leave them, you know, with something to remember you by. And so I kind of gave them, you know, stories about me, kind of different things that have been printed about me. So I gave them kind of like, this is my work record, basically, in fishing. And we talked, we went out to supper, and he took it with him. He called me back, and he says, you want to be part of my Mr. Walleye specialties, Mark? He says, we need somebody in Michigan. We need somebody like you that's dedicated, somebody that knows. You know, and I'm like, wow, really? You, you know, you think that much of me? And so I, but I had the, I knew if I joined his team that, at the time, our sponsors didn't jive because I had Lindy Little Joe. He had Northland Fish and Tackle. I had um, Evan Rude Motors. He had Mercury. You know, and they were all taking care of me, too. Right, so right. so I had a, a lot of people would jump not at the opportunity to be with Gary, but they'd also jump you know, because they're going to get another spot. I didn't want that to happen. And I told Gary, and I think that probably made a better impression on Gary than me saying, okay, I'll go and I'll, I'll dump all my other sponsors that I have. He had Rapala, so that I didn't have to move at that point. And uh, he had Lund and I wouldn't have had to move at that point either. So we had common things in common, but we had differences when it came to business. So, I said, Gary, this is the way I see it. And he said, you're pretty smart. You know, you know, just let me know when you're ready. Well, just a little ways down the road, a few things fell into place right at the right time. And I was able to, you know, make a decision that, you know, 
if you're going to treat me this way at a company, I'm going to, you know, now it's time to go look for a new job, you know? Right. And a couple of them did it right at the right time. You know, I thought it was the wrong time, but I had Gary. So I called him up. He says, Hey, we're having our team meeting. Come on out meet the guys and see how they, you know, you guys get along and blah, blah, blah. And I went up there and I got to meet all these rest of these sponsors, Berkeley and Fenway. You know, I got to meet the real, the people right in person. Can you describe this thing that you joined of uh, Gary Roach's, like what he asked you to be a part of, just so some folks might not know what that is? Well, he he had sponsors of his own, and he promoted – Mr. Wally especially was a promotions team. Oh, okay. So we were out – you know, we'd promote – Lund, we'd promote Mercury, we'd pr- promote Northland, we'd promote Rapala, you know, and on and on uh, with a bunch of different products. And um, we wouldn't, but we'd also teach all the sponsors um, what maybe their downfall of that product was or were their weak points of that product and make it better. So we work hand in hand with the sponsors. Uh, to either come up with new products, make the products in existence better, uh, and and then because we wrote for magazines, all of us, and we all did television shows, um, you know, we were able to take that to our media friends, uh, all of our sponsors, and show people out in the world um, because there was no internet at the time. Right. Uh, so you depended on your outdoor writers and your TV people and stuff like that, uh, you know, to, uh, get the word out, you know? And so I accumulated a lot of them over my lifetime and, and I knew that I needed them and they needed me to come up with new stories. So, uh, we, uh, you know, kind of talked with each other, uh, about, how to do the business a lot better. And, and that, that was really the, the, the secret there was, um, you know, the communication of Gary telling me um, the business that he had learned because he was 20 years older than I was. And he had friends like Al Linder. And so you know, they, they would talk together. And then when I went over there, um, I would talk with Al and, you know, pretty soon I'm meeting all these influential people and they're taking me under their wing and teaching me the business, not how to fish better. Cause all of a sudden you're, you're realizing, um, you know, when you're fishing with these guys, you're not asking them, well, how do you do this and how do you do that? It's not like a seminar. It's like we're talking to each other going, well, how, you know, how, how do you, you know, you know, cause they do TV and work with the media, you know, how do you transfer this to the media? How do you transfer this to the seminars? How do you teach people how to do what you're doing right now better? Right. And, and, and like and, you were saying with like, <clears throat> just for example, your dad and your grandpa grew up in an era an era where you know like you said everybody was tight-lipped so now right. it's, it's kind of interesting to see that you this this young kid at the time is now starting to get into the beginning of the era of you know in fishermen promoting yeah. promoting the sport of fishing not just by hey buy this lure but let's show you right. exactly how 
how to use the lure, why we're using it, the body of water that we're fishing, the structure that we're doing. I mean, yeah. you're like in the thick of the beginning of, you know, educational programs. And I, I think that's really, really cool. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, yeah, I was at the bottom level. You know, this is how it all started, how the information that everybody has learned today, we were figuring out how, what are we going to talk about next? Not, oh, geez, there's another fish down there. Let's catch this, guys. You know, we'd catch it if it was there. And then you figured out by fishing with these guys that they fish just like you do. Right. And the only the only differences was maybe the products they were using that made them a little better doing this than what you were doing. So then you went back and changed maybe the products you were using. But it was all in you know, what they're paying attention to and not, they, they weren't doing anything different than the average Joe. And they just had, um, a different variation of watching flashers. Cause that we didn't have liquid crystals back then. And, you know, there was some, but then there was some paper graphs and, but flashers were most prevalent. I, that's what I learned and grew up on and won a lot of money with. And I, I, I still to today, they're the most accurate and, but you can't take your eyes off of them. Right. So, so you, you have to constantly pay attention to that little machine that's constantly feeding you information and you can look at it and tell exactly how hard the bottom is, exactly how soft it is. If you're on rocks, I mean, it'll tell you a whole lot if you, and that's how I, I learned from because I didn't grow up with all that kind of stuff so I had to self-teach myself and then working with people like Gary and Al I learned how to read that kind of equipment better so that helped make me better mm-hmm. at fishing um, I, I tied the same knots they did I used the same lures they did they and then I see how they used them just a little tweak here and a little tweak there that was a different so then I could take that stuff back because I was learning that. I thought that'd be a good idea to give to my media friends. Okay, gotcha. And, and, and so you learn those little things. And then I would tell, you know, cause a lot of things would be over Al's head and Gary and the dancer and Dave Sanda. And, you know, I can go on and on, you know, they were further along in their thinking than I was. And I'd tell them, well, you guys, you know, the what you're doing right now, you, you should, you know, they think everybody knows how to do that. You know, in their minds, they thought that. And in my mind, I'm up and coming and I don't, you know, you're showing me something kind of a little different here. You know, maybe we should talk to the public on the basics of what you're doing. You know, maybe, you know, the basics of how you put this stuff together. I got a question. Know, as 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 you're doing this and you're you're sitting in on these meetings and you're hanging out with these guys and it, you know this is the start of someone you know something somewhat new did you get any pushback from like people like your dad or your grandpa or friends to say like why are you giving away all these secrets why are you doing this because this is something you know somewhat new did anyone ever what what was the was there any pushback back then <laughs> the that came a lot later. Did it when okay. I when I started? Not from my family, not from 
from uh, certain friends that I taught them. I took all this back, and they fished with me a lot, and I, they couldn't ever leave their jobs. But I would show them things, and they would now they became good at what, better at what they were doing. And then they heard me talking in seminars and writing in magazines and talking on the radio. And they're going, why are you telling these people all this stuff? I'm looking at them like, that's my job. It's not only good for you, but it's good for the, the, the industry and, and the sport. You know what I mean? To keep people involved in it. Because if everyone goes out there and everyone's tight-lipped, you know, let's say there's someone's just starting fishing or a kid or something right. like that. You know, that would turn yeah. them off immediately and then... You know, that's where, that's where all of our conservation money comes from. Right, right, exactly. You know, I, I never, you know, my family never gave me that. My family, um, you know, I, I, I don't mean to go backwards here, but my family never, you know, they, they were kind of under the impression um, that you're not going to make a living doing that, that you're not going to, you know, you can't do that. You can't, you know, you, you gotta, you know, you gotta be a doctor, lawyer, policeman, fireman, you know, you you gotta, you know, think big Mark, you know, you gotta, that's what they were raised. And that's the, being a, a, a fisherman was something that didn't make no money. Right. Back, back, you know, and at five years old, my dad, had a reel-to-reel tape player and he was asking my sister what do you want to be and not to go back but this will help with the story here a little bit too and what do you want to be and she said a nurse or something like that I still got the I got a DVD of it because I thought it was so cool I took the reel-to-reel in a while back and and had it because that is my life and five years old he was doing an interview with my sister and i and he asked me for the first time what do you want to be mark i said a fisherman and he says you can't be a fisherman because you can't make no money so why don't we talk to your sister a little more and come back and and we went back yeah yeah he blew me and he kept going back and forth finally he started putting things into my head of doctor lawyer policeman you know why don't you think about that now i'll come back to you again and i Every time I said I wanted to be a fisherman, I wanted to be a fisherman, and he just finally turned the tape off. And when I won the world championship in 1990, being the first guy to ever do that, you know, because they finally had a big enough one, and it was the highest cash prize in history for walleye at that time, um, you know, and I won it. I came back, and my dad and my had supper for me. And there's this reel to reel sitting in the corner on a case. And I'm like, well, what's he got that out for? And uh, so after dinner, when everybody, the celebration was old, you know, I mean, we were sitting around chatting. He pulled it out, plugged it in, turned it on. And immediately I, I knew what it was. <laughs> I knew that tape. I mean, nobody else around the table, you know, except my sister and my mom knew what it was. And they're listening to it, you know, my sister and I talking, we're five years old here. I'm 20 some years old now. And it comes to the end and my, everybody's dead quiet. Nobody's saying nothing. And my dad shuts it off right at where he shut it off before he looked across the table at me and he goes, Mark, I'm going to tell you something. 
he says, maybe I was wrong. And that was, you know, that was it. That 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 just about brought a tear to Mark's eye. You know what's cool about that though is your dad owned up to it. You know what I mean? It's not like he sat there and you know was bitter about it. But at the end of the day, he's like, I mean, think how bad that stuck with him. Oh, yeah. Now what can you say? Right. (laughs) I'm the world champion. I'm making money. I made probably more than. In one day, I mean, in three days than he'd ever seen in his life, you know, in a year, you right. know, and and uh, and so he 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 was humbled, you know, and you could see that, and 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 that stuck with me that when I do stuff nowadays, when I go to schools and do career day, or when I talk to kids, I always finish up by hey you know i mean i talk to him about being a professional athlete that's kind of what i talk and it kind of gives an overview but i tell them what they have to do to get a better wage in that you know instead of just being able to play the game you got to be able to talk the game you got to be able to teach the game you got to be able to be a spokesperson for you know i tell them how to go about it just because all the sports are all the same you got to be able to promote yourself in the sport in order to go further in it. And so I, that's what I talked to him about. And I talked to him and they, uh, a lot of kids raise their hand. They want to be, you know, baseball player, football player, whatever, and fishermen and hunters and all like that. And I tell them how they all have to do this. They all, it's the same thing for each and every one of you. But I said, you know, I says, how many of you in here that raised your hand and wanted to be that that type of person that that's how you want to make your living how many of you now raise your hand again i says they people told you you can't do that and a whole bunch of them would raise their hand again i said i'm looking right at you and i'm one of those kids i said just like you i was told that i couldn't do that either and now i had you know i told them that story and it, and it hits those kids too you know and they realize, don't let anybody tell you no. And I tell them that. I said, don't you ever. You got it, a dream in your heart. You live in America. Don't let anybody tell you you can't be what you want to be because you live in America. The harder you try at something, the more successful you'll be. So that's, you know, um, you know, and then just being with, you know, lenders and roaches. Right. And then I, be, I, I became... Um, you know, went from Mr. Walleyes to promos. And now when it came promos, Gary um, uh, left his original partner and asked me to be partners with him for the next 15 years with the promos. So I even got to know more of the business, more of the, and I realized how small the fishing world really is at that, after that. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, fi- I'm kind of finding that out too, and and just the willingness, like people like you, willing to talk to folks. You know, I mean, no one really knows who I am, but you're sitting down here today talking to me, and you know that goes a long ways, uh, not only for your reputation and name, but for the sport fishing industry in general. That there's guys out there like you doing that. It's you know, there's so few of us. You know, I can I think of how many great fishermen that I fished with coming up names that if I started naming them, you would know a lot of them. And I just think of all, 
and I learned from them. I learned how to fish better from them. I learned how to carry myself a lot better from them. But I also learned the reasons some of them aren't here right now. It's not because some of them aren't here because they passed away, but some of them aren't here because they did the wrong things. So if you had to and, cho- so if you had to choose, this is kind of an interesting point. Would you say that coming on board with um, Gary, would that be more pivotal for your career than winning the national or for winning the world championship? It was. Um, what, what helped your career more? Comes, would you say? Um, all of it, all, all everything combined, right there. Okay. Because it, it was all, all intertwined. Gotcha. It was all inter- intertwined, and and so they they all taught me because I, you know, when I won, they knew how, I knew how to carry myself and Uh, not be an obnoxious person. That's important. And think that I'm better than everybody else, which I'm not. I still put my shoes on the same way as you and everybody listening. Right. Uh, You know, and, and, you know, some people think that they do it a lot different after that. And I wasn't, you know, and they weren't going to let me ever do something like that. You, you know, seen, they, they kind of watched me. They, 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 you know, they groomed me. Right. You know? Have you seen guys blow it after winning a big event like that with their name in the industry? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have. I mean, there's guys right now that I know they're better fishermen than I am. We're better fishermen than I am. And they're gone. Right. It's not that they're gone out of off the earth. They just chose a different path, mm-hmm. and they chose a different way to carry themselves, and and it caught up with them. And you know, and people, unless they see it, you don't want to be exa- a bad example for you know. But they were an example to me that. Gary and Al were talking about of what not to do exactly. So it hit easily. It was easy for me, easier for me to see and understand than somebody just looking from the outside in going, Oh, that's too bad. You know, but you realize it wasn't that one thing that took them out. It was an accumulation of things that they put in place that took them out, out of the, the fishing industry, gotcha. you know, and, 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 you know, you can make mistakes. You got to, everybody makes mistakes when, um, you're growing up and everybody makes mistakes in fishing and hunting and in their job, but you learn from the mistakes. I tell people you learn what you did wrong that time and don't, don't do it again and again and again and again. You know, you might make a, a, a that mistake some other time, but it's not as frequent as it once was. Right. And so if you can learn from bad things and become better and a better person for it, you're, there's a place for you in your industry, in the world, and people realize that, you know, I realized um, well beforehand I was, you know, you treat people nice and they treat you nice right. and you, you act bigger than them. You become less than them. Yeah. They're going to write you yeah. off. 
Yeah. And so you never bring yourself to that point. You know, I mean, you know, I, I, I feel fortunate that, you know, I had the mentors that I, I did to pull back on the reins if they seen it, you know, if they seen stuff like that, they'd look over and say something. It's just like your, your dad telling you something, right. you know, I mean, you, you might think they're stupid right now and that they don't know a dang thing. But as you get older, you find yourself saying the same things to your kids right? and, and realizing that they weren't that stupid. And even in fishing, my dad and grandpa, they tell me certain things, you know, when we were fishing and, and I like didn't let it go out one ear, you know, nothing ever goes out one ear and it goes in one ear and out the other. It always is retained. You know, people think people let things like that. No, people listen, but it, it, until something happens, it's, it doesn't stop it. And all of a sudden, you know, my dad and grandpa would, you know, simple little things to me. Uh, I'd go, why do I got to roll this stupid boat? <laughs> you know, yeah, I did. I mean, that's just one little thing right, right there. They'd say, okay, you know, we had a, here we have a big gas motor on the back. We could be trolling. And I'm looking at my dad and grandpa going, why we can't do that? It'd be a lot easier. Well, yeah, it'd be a lot easier, but we had bleach bottles out with a flashlight. So we knew how deep it was because we didn't have a graph either. And we knew how many passes back and forth on the level line uh, bait caster it took to get that lure on this side of the bleach bottle down to almost bottom and on this side of the bleach bottle because we had 15 feet of cord on that. And there wasn't people out there, so these bleach bottles sat out there forever in Muskegon Lake. Yeah, we, and, get, we definitely have it a lot easier nowadays. Oh, yeah. You know, so you had, I learned the hard way, and I learned, learned how to tell how far lures went down with how many feet of line out because it was too expensive to get these lures hung up and lose them and lose them. You know, so my dad and grandpa didn't like that. So they knew you put this many passes back and you rode on this side of the bleach bottles and it was over 15 feet and you could have this much line out. You rode on this side of the bleach bottles and it was so deep you had this much line out and you didn't lose very many lures. Very seldom was put in. It was all full of slab wood in Muskegon Lake at that time. No zebra mussels. So you 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 but the thing that was stuck in me is like well why can't we just instead of turning around starting up the gas motor and going back and getting going upwind and rolling back with the wind on one side or the other of these bleach bottles why can't we just troll back because we're going to chase all the fish away <laughs> i mean we didn't we didn't have a graph you couldn't see right and i've just figured ah yeah right yeah, okay right, but i'm not they're not they wouldn't listen to the thing i had to say thank goodness they didn't and we did it that way and that's the way we did it well when mark martin got to do it in his own boat his own way with a graph with with line counter reels, you know, I mean, everything kind of came. My grandpa never seen electric motors. He never seen grass. He passed away prior to that kind of stuff. My dad did. And, and so I got all this stuff, and I had electric motor. And I had a gas motor on my boat. 
and I'd have my buddies out and, you know, we'd be catching and until I was 18, we did, we had a, um, a party, uh, a bachelor party. And I kept my first limit of walleyes for everybody in the boat. It, it almost made me feel bad. You know, I was like, wow, that's a lot of fish, you know, laying there in the, there wasn't enough room in the cooler. They were so big. It's a hell of a way to celebrate. Yeah. Right. And, and so, so anyhow, we, we fed the whole party. I mean, we fed the whole bachelor party oh, with all cool. the fish, you know, and plus more. Right. You know? and, and so that time I, I turned and had the, everybody in the boat and I said, we're going to troll back I mean, we're going to start the, the, the motor and we're going to troll in 15 feet of water back up instead of going back up and come back down with the electric I mean, we're wasting time here you know in my mind you know but i always remembered what my dad and grandpa told me don't do it and i did it i had a graph went back up i seen the fish we caught fish going back up going okay grandpa and dad i you know and went you know electric motored back down caught some more fish came back back up again with the gas motor went went to go back again there was hardly any fish there ah grandpa and uh, dad were right yeah you know i mean we still caught fish but it wasn't like the hand over fist action that we were used to let me tell you and then we went to another spot and did it and did pretty soon that year that i was doing that stupid stuff i never did it again because i realized that your first pass on a structure is when you're going to get the biggest fish so screw it up the first time you're never going to see your trophy and and the, the other thing is you just keep doing it pretty soon you're you could have fished there all night long now you can't even fish there more than two passes because you got them pretty well dispersed right and and then the moon rising and falling my grandpa you know every you know you'd see it once in a while it wasn't like this is an every night phenomenon if the moon whether it's full half quarter whatever Sometimes it was going down when you were fishing and it disappeared. And then sometimes you were fishing and it appeared off the horizon like the sun rising. And every time my grandpa would say, because he kept detailed records all the time of every, when we went fishing, where we were fishing, what the wind was doing, how fast. I mean, he was, he was way ahead of his time for, not keeping fish and really smart. Yeah, I think and, that I think that's an art that's kind of died a little bit and something I think I I personally want to get back into too because you know, you hear about guys even hunting too. They'll write the way the wind was that day, how cold it was yeah. that morning, and really if you go back, it's almost like a graph. You can, you know, do like a law of yeah. a, a law of averages to see what was going on during those times and definitely help you fish and and hunt more efficiently. Oh, it helped me write articles. Oh, when wow. My, I, I go back through my grandpa's diaries, and then somebody stole them. Ah, oh, shit. And, and, and they wouldn't even know. They wouldn't even, the people that took it wouldn't even know my grandpa. You know, they'd know some of the things he's talking about, but they wouldn't know the spots because the spots weren't the names they really were, oh, you know. okay. You know, they, he, their grandpa's names, I knew where they were, you know, <laughs> but no, and I would, 
transfer that into the story, you know, and I write for Walleye Magazine and stuff like that. And I had them out of my dad's vault at his office and the cleaning people took them that night because they were, they knew I was a fisherman and they see me, you know, in there using them and I didn't put them away. And why would you think that? My dad would put all of his stamps away. <laughs> yeah, because exactly. that's what he was. He was a philatelist. You were worried he, about he, your wallet and your watches in the room, and then now you got right, your journal right. being stolen. Yeah, journal, that thing. That's what got stolen, you know. And he definitely fired him, but um, you know he, <laughs> you know, and that's what my dad did for a living. He was the world's largest stamp collector. Oh, really? He, yeah, he's a philatelist. Wow. And so that's why he gave, was able to give me so much time fishing is because he could take off time when he wanted to and do what he wanted to. And, you know, he, he if it was Jeopardy and it was history, you couldn't beat him because <laughs> every, st- every stamp is history. Yeah, that's true. And, and he knew every stamp from square one to present you know not now present day but before he passed away he knew the history how many how many how much they were why they were creating every stamp has a his you know the history to it he knew everything about that stamp and uh, you know he'd he'd go for the government and go in because there's a lot of forgeries back then on stamps just like money mm. and he'd be the government would call on him because he could be able to you know he was an expert witness where he could walk you through why this was real or why it isn't real and what you did to make it not what it is you know he could immediately you know but he'd have to walk the jury through it you know i mean he could tell you but they had to be convinced too so he was good at that and fishing. <laughs> you know? Well, it sounds like a job yeah. that he was passionate about too, kind of like what you grew up to do. Right. He started when he was 14 years old. Yeah. Yep. And he was passionate about that. And I was passionate about fishing. So he, he probably could see the similarities my dad was, you know, at that. But, uh, you know, that number, the, the things back in, in the day and, uh, um, you know, that, that, that's what created Mark Martin, right. uh, you know, I, but I never wanted to pursue stamps because I made too many mistakes at that because you didn't, if you missed one little f- this or one little of that, it could be a $10,000 mistake. Ugh. And he made, he let me make them sometimes. So you imagine how I felt when I found out he screwed up. Yeah, but he'd let them. He'd let them go, and they'd go out to the customer. And, and I, I remember one customer calling him up and going, uh, "Robert, uh, would you send me this? I want. I didn't didn't want that. I wanted the used one, not the mint one. It's a ten thousand dollar mistake." Ooh. He says, "I I, let, I I already talked to my son about that, and uh, he made the mistake, and the guy sent it back." You know, you know, I mean, that's kind of customers he had back then. He was all over the world. He dealt, you know, and worldwide. He knew where every stamp was. So if somebody wanted it, he knew who to contact to get that one, to complete a collection for somebody. Or he knew where to go to talk to somebody about certain things. You know, so he was he was an expert at 
you know, at fishing too, but but also um, at uh, at stamps. So that's a little background there. But but uh, you know, you know the the you know. So and then I realized when they you know the moon rising and falling. That's where I was at. You know, when the moon rises and falls, I don't care what phase it's in. Um, that uh, as long as it isn't straight up when it rises, when it's straight up the rest of the night, you're pulling hen's teeth 90 some percent of the time. I mean, you're, you're lucky to catch another fish. So you're as saying, so you're saying as it turns dark, if the moon mm-hmm. starts off high up in the sky, you're, you're, yep. you're in trouble. But if it starts at like the horizon slowly works its way up then you're in good shape. Well, yeah, that's, yeah. But if it's high in the sky and when you start, and all of a sudden, you notice it's starting to come down. Uh-huh. And it's going to set like the sun. Yeah, I get my heart picks up, and I I, I gotcha. get excited because from the time it's kind of angled at a quarter angle. It, in my book, I have a diagram of it, of where it should be when it gets to that angle, to where it disappears on the horizon. It's going to be if you are where the fish are, it's going to be hand or fist action at night. And if you're not, and you're not seeing them, just keep picking up and move and move, 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 move until you find them. When you find them, it's over. Is that true with ice fishing too then? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all, and, and you can almost use it for not so much for daytime, but kind of for daytime. If you can see the moon out in the daytime, you know, you can kind of see it sometimes in the daytime and you see where it is in the sky and you can watch it watch see if it's going up or down sometimes it doesn't look like it's moving sometimes but you know if it's going down you better you know i mean from a certain angle and i it's kind of like not straight up but just a little bit down from straight up 45 degree angle up from if you pointed up in the sky from your boat that'd be a 45 degree angle if you held your arm like that from that point down or if it's coming off the horizon from that point up to 45 degrees your your arm that's kind of where the fishing will be the best i don't care if it's a full half i don't like a full if it's a full it's still all right but you better have a lot of cloud cover or wind waves. Yeah, that's one but part. It, that's one part of my fishing game I want to improve is my nighttime fishing. I've been, I've done, you know, somewhat decent amount of it. More, more ice fishing at night than I have open water at night. But I got to read your book because I've heard from other people too that that book is it's one of a kind. Really worth. Uh, I, I don't know of anybody else who's gone that in depth of nighttime fishing for walleye. Right. Yeah, and I I learned from the masters you know right, right. <laughs> my dad and grandpa that's all they did was night fish before i even came along you know so and i don't know if i there might have been other people that wrote things i think there was but it, they weren't were these my dad and grandpa fished this all the time almost every night too so they made a lot, and they didn't just fish Muskegon Lake. They fished White Lake. They fished Manistee. They fished Mona Lake. They fished, I mean, they fished all over. I mean, Croton Pond, Hardy Pond. You know, they did it at night there. They did daytime. I mean, every Friday, Saturday, Sunday of my life, when they picked me up at school, we'd disappear for the weekend. 
It's not, and, bad, not a bad way to grow up. No, and we'd fish maybe brook trout, maybe walleye, maybe pike, maybe salmon, maybe steelhead, maybe whatever, bluegill, sunfish, crappie, <laughs> you know, whatever whatever their, their whim was or wherever they felt like going. You know, it didn't matter if it was rain, shine, snow, as tall as the Empire State Building. If you know it, that weather wasn't a factor, <laughs> do you think? Yeah. Do you think people living in Michigan um, are aware of how unique and lucky we are with the the amount of diversity of fish species to fish for? Because I feel like no. you know, there's a lot of other states. Like, I mean, obviously Minnesota's huge for yeah. you know walleye and yeah, and you've, they've got pike and muskie. But if you think about it, in the state of Michigan, you can drive within four hours probably anywhere and catch a, I don't know. 10 different species of fish. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I tell, you know, I, I tell people that, you know, I said, we're lucky to live in Michigan because we have such a diversity of fish. I go out there to North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana. Um, you know, I go to Canada, I go to, you know, Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, New York, Ohio, Indiana, you know, we have everything right here. Everything is right here. We got a lot of species of animals. We got a lot of species of fish. We got lakes, rivers, reservoirs. I mean, you go out West and it's just reservoirs. There isn't very few natural lakes. Right. (laughs) And they're all man-made somewhat. They were rivers at one time, but now they're impoundments. And, and so you got to learn, you know, so I learned how to fish a lot of different, uh, bodies of water too that way but they it, by traveling what travel allowed me to do was take my experiences from Michigan and because sometimes they were maybe the toughest conditions to fish in because of the amount of people uh, the, the the sometimes the scarce of walleyes because when I was little there wasn't the walleyes they are now okay they were in fewer numbers so you had to be better at fishing or do things more correct and and so you go to these other places where walleyes were real prevalent you'd put the same tactics down there and they'd be gobbling it up like you know (laughs) candy yeah you know so you wasn't it wasn't that you were doing something wrong which a lot of people are always second guessing themselves you were you realize you're always doing it right. You just didn't have the numbers of fish that you could put it over, you know, to, to, to ply your trade, you right. know, or, or ply your technique or whatever you want to do. You, you, you know, so I found there's certain places where there's more, more of this and more of the, you know, more fish of this, uh, you know, species and, and, you know, you go here and there's more you know, species, you know, uh, species of fish like this or animals, just like, you know, I, I go out west whitetail hunting. But Michigan, you know, for, for uh, whitetails taught me everything. I mean, everything as far as stealth, how to, you know, because I got to fish around or I mean, hunt around a whole lot of other people. Right. You know, and, 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 yeah, Michigan's and known these, for that. Oh, just, it, it's terrible. I go out, I don't even see people. I go, I used to go to Canada a lot. I'm every year for weeks at a time, or yeah, fishing, because I do fishing, do, but hunting and, and hunting, 
um, became easier because you got bigger white tails and nobody, you know, the wolves might be the biggest, uh, culprits out there. You know, I never seen another person when I was white tail hunting in Canada, never, ever. And when I go out West, I can't think I might hear a shot once in a while too, but I never seen another person out there. And I, I, you know, get giant whitetails out, out west. But the Michigan taught me how to hunt them, how to, you know, find the stuff they like, even though the terrain is completely different. And but I, I like to think of walleyes and whitetails as the same creature, somewhat. One's on land, one's in the water. Yeah, help us bridge but, that gap because we're coming up on fall time, and it's always a struggle for me to split my time between not only uh, walleye but also whitetail and uh, you know duck hunting in there. But let's focus oh, yeah. on the whitetail and the walleye. I feel like a lot of guys have that same kind of issue, especially in Michigan, when it comes to the fall. It's like, man, it's some of the best fishing. But it's also oh, yeah. it's also whitetail time. You know, they're both creatures of edges. That, that they're whitetails are creatures of edges. Walleyes are creatures of edges. You know, whether that edge for walleyes may be a drop off, a weed edge, um, a, the edge between hard and soft bottom, um, between current and no current. You know, that's all edges. If you learn how to look at something when you go fishing i pick it apart and the best the professionals that i know we all find an edge even in open water a lot of times i'm you know the salmon fishermen fish the slick line of calm and rough water or see the garbage flow i do the same thing for walleye because they're up there too when I'm fishing in Saginaw Bay and Lake Erie, or even if I'm out in Muskegon Lake and I'm going to fish suspended fish, that's a key. There's a key right there. You know, there's food there. You know, the little fish are going to come up and eat, or maybe they're already up there. Well, the big fish, in order to get their supper, they got to come up there too, even though you're more in tune to going down to them. You know, so the thing is, is edges. You're looking for edges all the time. And people, when they go for whitetails, I have well over 30 monster whitetails on the, on the wall that are well over 120, up to in the 190s, one upper 180s uh, gross score. And uh, when I go out anywhere, whether I was in Canada, Michigan, sand dunes in Michigan, I love the sand dunes because it reminds me out west. I look for edges. Edges can be edges of a fence line, can be a ditch running down through the middle of nothing. Right. And it can it can be in the thick, thick woods. You can see edges in the thick, thick woods. I go out in the woods and I can see, oh, look at the thick woods right here. But look how that thick wood all of a sudden opens up just a little, you know, it gets thinner. It might have been chopped down years ago or something, but now this is the thicker part, and this is a, might be thick, but it's not as thick. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I get yeah. But that's where the biggest bucks foul. They'll get in the thick edge in that old growth and get in that really, you know, wherever the, you know, the, the new and old come together, and, and it kind of, they'll be the thickest right there, and they'll take the thickest path 
even though that's the hardest way to go. <coughs> and that's where you want to start looking for sign in the thick woods. Look for not the, the thickest, but not the thinnest. Look for the edge where the thick and thin meet. I'm going to try that yeah. this fall because I'm hunting a lot of public land this fall. And yep. I'm going to maybe put that theory to test. That way I kind of feel like I'm that walleye way. fishing too at the same time. I'm applying both principles. Right. It's so easy to do. It's easy. It's <laughs> e- I, I'm not, I, I mean, it's, it's. I'm going to report back I, on you. Like, you, you, you right. Do it because you'll go, wow, Mark, I see more deer. I see more bucks. You know, it, it, it's worked for me my entire career of how I find those deer in public land is it's, you're going to shine. I'm going to tell you, you're going to shine like a beacon out there because most people are looking for rubs and scrapes. If you find rubs and scrapes in those areas, a lot of times you're not, right. You're not going to find rubs and scrapes. You're everybody's looking for rubs and scrapes, which is good. Not saying, and if you can find them right where the thin meets the thick and you got, a fairly large track of it now you're even got more things going in your favor but usually where those big bucks really you'll see you'll see like a in those thick and thin areas um you'll see a a major trail from normal deer and they'll they'll be taking the easiest way and then you'll see a lesser trail in that thicker thin area that's where the big bucks and they can walk through there and they can stand and they can, they'll see you before you ever know they're there. Oh, dude, I and, pray, I pray I call that I call you here in a few months and be like, your tactic work. <laughs> it does. And I, and I turned people onto the sand dunes and told them and showed them how to hunt sand dunes. And, and, um, you gotta be a kind of a long range hunter or you can, if you want to do bow hunting, that's easy too, but you gotta be, you gotta be a little bit of an athlete because when things are happening um you got to play the wind you still got to have scent lock and you still still have to spray down and and when you see it happening um you have to be have eyes all around you (laughs) yeah because you you think you're all alone and you're really not out in the sand dunes even though you can see for miles (laughs) it looks like a deer can be laying down in that in that beach grass and you're never going to go and see them. It's like a cornfield that, but that's been cut basically, but they can lay right there. Yeah. It's probably a natural bedding area for them. Oh yeah. And, and I've got some nice deer, my nicest deer in Michigan, um, besides the UP, but, um, have always been taken in the sand dunes and there's so few people, that hunt them because it's a lot of work and you take two steps forward and slide one back and you spend a lot of time glassing and you spend a lot of time looking and you spend a lot of time pre-scouting and you spend a lot of time looking for these little bait piles out in the sand dunes, um, which are, are natural bait piles where you got little groups of woods where there's beech nuts and acorns and those little sand pocket but they're giant trees that could be a hundred some years old right and they're just dropping these white oak and beach and the the deer come in and go out it's their bait pile have you written an article on this walleye and uh whitetail 
You should be. No. Like, you should call it like no. living life on the edge or something. <laughs> right, living something, life. That'd be a good one. Something crazy like that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I've I've done. Uh, you know, I, I've talked to people about it, and people have listened to me, and I've done seminars on it, <clears throat> and they come back to me and go, Mark. Nobody ever talks like that, and nobody ever says nothing like you know what. But it works, you know. You know when I when we bow hunted the sand dunes, what we you can even if you find a bait pile out there, <clears throat> you better find where they come in and go out. If you go and sit in those woods, even though they could be three four acres, they know you're there mm-hmm. because there's always a deer that's in there that will boogie out of there and give you up, right. you know? So you got to figure out how can I <clears throat> sit back and observe? And that's what you do when you go out and look at the wind because the wind's going to give you away every time. So you figure out, okay, that most of the deer usually come from this way. I got to go this way and I got to sit here with my glasses in my bowl and, and I just, I, I just sit there, uh, and you don't want to get on top of the sand dune because that way you're silhouetted to all the other deer. So you got to pick one side or the other of that sand dune to sit down so you're below the edge. So you blend in just like they do. You know, you don't want to be on the the top where you look you're you're above the beach grass even, <clears throat> and uh, so you're looking and. And we've got so close to, you know, and, and killed big ones with our bow and arrow. It's it's amazing how close you can get. You see them come out, and you're looking. Okay, now where's anymore? Is there some, you know, because you don't want any other ones that are coming. Because if they are, they're going to see you and then take off and maybe run right by that one. But you see a, a big buck coming over a sand dune, and you see him go down in a hollow with beach grass down there, and you're watching them, and they don't come out. And you you want to hunt with a friend, and you, you so you got a couple vantage points, gotcha. you know, and you can and you can kind of maybe wave your hand at, at each other and look through binoculars and point and stuff like that, <clears throat> so they you two can can tag team with each other because it's kind of sometimes takes two of you to to do it even maneuver them around a little bit, but they'll go down in there and they'll they'll lay. <clears throat> but they'll always lay looking downwind right. and they'll always they'll with their their butt will always be into the wind so they can smell you coming so what you do is you go okay the wind's blowing like this they went down in there 10 minutes ago they haven't come out and you, your buddy's over on this side and he's like you, you know you're making your hand signals you know did they come out you know no no they're in there Okay, and then one or the other, depending on who's in the best wind position, <clears throat> decides to make the stock, and the other person watches. Because you can't keep track of other deer coming in or other deer coming out all the time. You're, you're trying to go quick, but stay down and out of the wind, and you're dependent on your partner to be your stationary eyes looking right there and what's going on around you. And that's where your partner comes in after you decide who's making the kill. And you you start walking in, and you always get 
around where the wind isn't going to go into there and then you start tippy toeing up the you know you can be real quiet because it's sand and you just start moving slow to the top and you don't go up because all of a sudden boom you could be right over the top without knowing and you just kind of look and as you get closer you just your footsteps become closer together and you're looking and looking and all of a sudden you come up oh there it is it's laying right there now you can back back down and you motion your partner, hey, it's right there, <clears throat> so he knows what you're going to do. Now you've seen how it's laying, now you've seen what, you, you know, what it's doing, and you're bagged down, you can load your bow, <clears throat> or if you were gun hunting, you can load your gun, and now creep back up for the kill. And you can be like right, I mean, I'm not kidding you, you can be, 10, 15 yards away when you make that final kill in the sand dunes. And and this is why we're so well-rounded in Michigan as outdoorsmen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we hunt in the sand dunes. Um, that's I, I, Like I said, man, you got to write an article about that. Oh, I, I know. I should have wrote, wrote stuff like that, you know, and I have, haven't ever, never, you know, I mean, I talk to people and do seminars on it and, people eat it up and and uh you know and and they then they go just like i said at the beginning of this this story or this yeah story this uh this uh uh, podcast broadcast here uh you know they they're they're going well geez i don't want to tell nobody about that right i'm like well who told you (laughs) yeah they don't realize it's good for the sport but um no all right, so I'm going to do a fire round right now. I'm going to give you some scenarios yeah. um, to help us out with walleye. And two different. And I've got two different scenarios that stick in my mind. All right, so the first one is we're on a gin-clear lake, crystal clear water. There's not much structure. Let's say the deepest part of the lake is 50 to 60 feet. Mm-hmm. You're marking fish. You know that there's walleye in there. How do we get these things to bite? Because it seems like in in gin clear water, walleyes have locked jaw like no other. Oh, they they do. You know, I and and what I find, you know, the more I fish gin clear water, um, I find that the if you can't get them to bite down there on the bottom, you can see them. You can't get them to bite down there. This is how you are going to be able to tell how you're going to catch them. So the easiest way to find them is use your electronics, go around and see fish down in the bottom, you know, test them out. You know, you go, oh, man, I got to try to catch these. And you try and try and once in a while you might catch one down there on the bottom. Well, that's just telling you what species they are or whatever, because they might not all be walleyes. They could be smallmouth bass. They could be perch. They could be whatever. You know, so you got to test out those ones on the bottom. You can't just go out there and go, oh, they, you know, I'm, I'm going to run into this scenario of they're going to be lockjaw. Well, go and find the ones that are out there on the bottom and see what they are. And all of a sudden, boom, I, I caught a walleye. Well, that's really great. Even though it's only one in three hours of fishing, it just taught you something that there were walleyes. They are walleyes. They are biting down there in the bottom but they really are they're resting they're coming up and you now you go and start fishing them suspended oh, and people and, and because you can't because it's gin clear they can tell the boats coming at them that's why you use planer boards for one thing 
that's why you use stern planers way behind the boat that whatever you stir up in your prop wash or your boat, you know, the fish come up and eat behind the boat just as well as they eat off to the side. Um, and what you do is you put it up, you know, in the top less than, I'd say, 12 feet down at the most in, in clear water, you know, maybe 15, you know. But they're up there. They're down on the bottom, and, and they come up and eat. Well, you're seeing them only on the bottom because when they're up in the water column coming up, they're just coming up to eat, and they're going right back down. So you're never – if you ever see one suspended – which a lot of times, you know, sometimes you see quite a few suspended. That means there's quite a few fish. Right. But you see groups of bugs. You see groups of bait fish. That's going to, while you're trying to catch them on the bottom, you're starting to see groups of bait fish as you go over. You see groups of bugs coming up. That's your, your clue. That's where the fish are going to be. And start fishing and put them into your GPS and come back later and start fishing those groups of bugs and bait fish suspended because those fish are going to come up off a bottom. They're going to grab something to eat up there, and they're going to come right back down. If they're up there already and you're coming across the surface fishing, they're going to go out away from your boat. You're never going to see them on your fish finder. You'll see them sometimes if they decide to go down a little bit off to the side. You'll see them on your side scans and I'm just, you know, you know, I'm learning how to use them things too now. Um, you know, structure scan, side scan, all that stuff. I'm, you know, I'm really into it because <clears throat> I see those um, suspended fish a little bit better. They look like pieces of rice to me off to the side. They don't look like the arcs and curves right. and stuff that I'm normally used to seeing on the regular locator or liquid crystal. So yeah, you're you see. So rather see than throwing the, a bottom bouncer in their face, or if they're sitting there on the bottom, you're so, you know yeah. Lindy Reagan or bottom bouncing down there, that might be scaring them away rather than float it above their head and make them come up to you. Well, you're not scaring them away with that down there with the bottom bouncer. They're just looking at it and going, "Yeah, I don't want nothing to do with that. I'm not hungry. I'm just down uh, here." you know, burping, and I, I, you know, I really, you know, once in a while you catch one. And see, that's how, when we used to go to Lake Erie, this is just telling you something here, just giving you a scenario and giving people scenarios about clear waters and stuff like that. We would see the fish down on the bottom, okay? Okay. And because there are so many of them, you could fish down on the bottom, and we could catch them. But, you know, by the end of the day, you might have your five fish. I mean, and then they were pretty nice ones, too. Mm-hmm. But you're seeing thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of them. And that's all you could come up with. Right. That's back in the heyday. I mean, it's kind of like a heyday now, but it used to be a lot more of a heyday back then uh, where there would be miles and miles of these things. Uh, and so we learned that uh, when you've seen those fish down there, and I, just a few of us learned, and of course we kept our mouth shut, because now you're in a tournament, and, you're, right. you're, and you didn't, you know, so we try to keep it closed-lipped as long as possible, as far as that's concerned, um, but how we found out, 
the the good you know and, and there's still a couple of those guys are still fishing the tournaments now how we found out we were say putting your bottom bouncer and spinner out okay you wanted to go down by the bottom again you just finally caught a fish down there by the bottom all right let's get back there they're going to start biting so you're putting your bottom bouncer and spinner down and for some reason you're just slowly letting it down because you don't want to let a bottom bouncer and spinner down fast okay Mm -hmm. otherwise it's going to tangle around the main line as it goes down so you're kind of letting it down in increments and all of a sudden wham 12 i think i had 12 or 20 feet of line first time this ever happened boom i got a fish you know so my buddy he was letting one down at the same time and he goes to get the net and not my buddy but it was my partner and he put the rod in the rod holder i said just put it in the rod holder i said and by the time we landed that fish i looked over and he had a fish on that one bent right over. I says, how far down on the counter is that? He says, that was 20 feet down. Well, now you're moving. And so it's probably 12 feet down. Okay. Well, you, we're not marking no fish 12 feet down. Well, how deep are 10, you then? Oh, about 32 feet. Okay. So what you're saying is now they're coming up to hit it on the way down rather than on the bottom. Right. Oh, All okay. these fish that were down there are coming up, grabbing it and going back down. Okay. okay. So now I I look at him and I said, you know what we're going to do? And we we ended up getting third place in that tournament, coming from nowhere to third. I says, and you got to be sly about this. I said, so I said, we're taking all the rest of these lines that we have out. We're reeling them up. We're putting them down 22 feet. I says, and putting the board on and putting them back out. I says, when I, you get a fish on from now on, when I take the board off, your hand looks like it's reeling, but you're not reeling. I says, so because the guys are going to start counting how many times you're reeling, and we got kind of the same kind of reels with counters. They're going to know how many times you reeled and how many feet of line you had out, and they're going to duplicate that. And then I'd tell them, okay, now you can start reeling. So they, they'd never figured it out for quite a few different tournaments that we had for a few years out there, even though we did write about it, we did talk about it, but here again, we were sharing that information, but the people that tell me, don't tell everybody, why do you tell people all this stuff? They're going to do it too. You know how many years we did this before people caught on, even though we were telling them in articles and in seminars? Yeah. Probably about eight, nine years, probably. Uh, you know, I mean, before they really caught on, there's some that caught on. But I tell people in my seminars and when I write and when I, I give so much information out and the really good fishermen give so much information out that we overwhelm people with so many things that there's certain things they remember and certain things they can't remember. Even in the articles, they can, they'll pick up on one paragraph or two. They don't, they don't retain the whole story unless they took it with them, you know? Right. You know, so what they're keying in on are good things, but they're not keying in on the whole package. 
Nice. You know, so so when, I, when I'm doing seminars in Detroit or Minnesota, wherever I'm at, I'm telling everybody the whole story. But because I'm telling them everything, they can't remember everything. Right. You know? <laughs> too much information at once. Right. Too much overload. So, you know, a, so in this gin clear water, we, I mean, obviously, so, so hover it above them, right? Up, let, mm-hmm. let them come up and hit it. Now that's yep. gonna be anything. This can be crawler harnesses or rapalas, whatever you're pulling. Yeah, just throw yep, different whatever. baits out there and see what hits. Yeah, okay, right. You, you want you know if you're catching them on bottom bouncers down in the bottom, um, put those bottom bouncers, you know, twelve, fifteen feet down. Yeah, a lot I of mean, people think that about... a lot of people think that like the bottom bouncer has to be on the bottom. I get you don't have to. No. you can leave them in the water column. Right, yeah, they're like a herring dodger yeah. because as they're going through the water, they're catching water and they're colorful and they, you know, attract attention and they jerk the crawler harness back and forth as they're displacing water. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's why they make them colored too, not only for when they're down the bottom but up above. So yeah, they don't need to be on the bottom. Okay, and you know, so. You know, and, and there's, you know, I, I can get into a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take, take, I better not. You know, it just takes me over to a different world sometimes. I've got one you more know. quick scenario for you, and then we'll move on to one more thing before we're done. Yeah. So the other thing, we're coming into fall. Obviously, everybody knows that fall fishing is is probably some of the best time to be out fishing. But let's talk mm-hmm. about that transition of, you know, late fall into early ice because we always hear that your late fall spots are a pretty good starting spot for your early ice thing for your early ice. It is. What kind of, what kind of um, structure or depths of water are we looking at this time of year for, you know, to hone down on those walleyes for the first ice? Well, um, and let's talk a big body of water like Saginaw Bay. Yeah. Well, you're, you're going to be, you know, finding them. They're going to be, you know, out there, they're going to be suspended um, they're going to be coming in closer to the shore. Um, they, they, a lot of them are, are going to be, um, I'm trying to think of the best thing that don't confuse people here. Cause I got so many things in my head here going through them. Uh, you know, the, cause there'll be some, they'll be down, down in the deeper water at this time. It's kind of like the dog days of summer right now. And then you're going to be coming up into the, um, you know, early, early fall. So as it's getting into early fall, the gizzard shad, you say in Saginaw Bay, they're starting to move towards the Saginaw River. Okay. okay. They're going to come out of Lake Huron um, and they're going to start moving into the bay. Well, so all the walleye, not all of the walleyes, but the there's going to be a majority of walleyes that move into Saginaw Bay. <clears throat> and uh, as long as we have high water, they're going to come in, you know, and that's what would happen in Saginaw Bay when the water was low, they just didn't come in. And that's why we had some lean years on the ice because, you know, the water was low. There were still walleyes, but it wasn't like hand over fist action like it is now. So when the water's high, it brings the fish in. So now it's going to bring, you know, and I feel with all the rain we've gotten and everything, it's going to be, you know, getting, you know, staying stable to high water. And it's going to bring these fish, the bait fish in first. The bait fish are the key to bringing the walleyes in the bay. Okay. And as they come in, 
the the gizzard shed come to Bay City and go up the river. Uh, so in November they'll be piling in the river in the lower bay, and the walleyes will be in right behind them, and they're going to be coming into the reefs because now the gobies are on the reefs too. Okay. Um, you know, so they like uh, Callahan's and that kind of thing. The sailboat buoys, if you know where they are, they're, they got rock piles around them. Um, the walleyes will be going there because of the gobies on top of, um, the, um, gizzard shed coming into the river. So them are going to be the areas that you're going to want to concentrate on is, is the reefs. And you're going to use, you know, bottom bouncers, inline weights, lead core and spoons, uh, lead core and small crankbaits, uh, shad wraps, flicker shads, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, you're going to use the deep diving crankbaits, uh, the number 12 husky jerks, the number 10 husky jerks, uh, even the old throwback hot and tots, and spoons, too, for being right on the reefs and, and targeting, you know, fish on certain, because there's certain parts of them reefs and the sailboat buoys and everything that they're actually kind of small. So if you had a troll over them, you'd be over them and, and across and, you know, you might be successful and you might not if it didn't go in exactly the right spot. But in those areas, get on them with the, you know, Hopkins spoon, uh, rip and wrap, uh, buckshot rattle spoon, uh, and uh, the um, snap wraps, the flat wraps, the you know shiver minnows, and those those reefs on key spots on those reefs, you can sit back off them and throw, and and get the fish uh, to go. Um, you're always going to go out there and be able to put the boards out and the stern planers out, catch them behind the boat and off to the sides of the boats, um, you know, suspended um, for the most part. Uh, and then always have a bottom bouncer down there on the bottom off the back corners of your boat. So put okay. a th three, four ounce bottom bouncer. And people go, that's a big boy. Well, yeah, because you want it straight down. You don't want it in your way. So put it straight down so when you're trolling a crankbait even. It's like a mini you know, downrigger. Yeah, it's a mini. That's all a that You put it correctly. You put it the right way, and that's what I tell people. A bottom bouncer, all it is is a little mini downrigger. Oh, perfect. You know, that's what I always tell people. You know, so to put it down there, it gives you, you're allowed three rods apiece uh, nowadays oh, to Michigan. be legal. Yeah, so now you... You know, you got three people in the boat, so you, you can have nine rods out. You got to have room for them all. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you can you can put three on one side, three on the other, two stern planers out back, you know, and, and one bottom bouncer uh, off a corner. There's nine rods right there, and now everything's out of each other's way. You know, and a lot or of these you, in a lot of these areas, they're accessible during early ice too, for the most part. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and so the first, you know, so now these walleyes, they come into those areas and they kind of stay. That's, you know, I get tied up in all my thoughts on how, which direction to go. And, and I forget something. Well, a lot of them will go up the river and they'll stay in the river. And that's where the guys and gals can go and catch them. 
uh, in the river when it gets first ice. But they'll be out on on the Callahan, all these reefs off of Linwood, um, <clears throat> and they'll they'll be right there on the edges of these reefs and everything. And they'll yeah. be, uh, you know, even the smallest bottom contour on your Navionics uh, chip. Just use them in when you get on the ice, and 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 concentrate not on just going out there on that bay, and. You know, yeah, the reefs are really easy to see, but the bay itself is a dish bowl, and it's just a flat—not really flat, but it's just a dish bowl. I got you. And, and now you got the contour lines. Well, each contour line may only be a foot, but they're a hundred yards apart, you know. But to a fish, that's a drop off. So that's an edge, con- Mark. That's an edge you talk about. That's yeah, exactly. That's the edge. That's true. Exactly what you just said is exactly the truth. So now you go when you're fishing on the ice, and that's how we do it in our school. We have our Navionics uh, app in our smartphone, just like I put this Skype in my phone because you showed me how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I put a, the app for the Navionics in here, and that's our textbook to teach people, you know, where to go. Uh, when we're out there on the ice so if they're sitting on this contour line and i show them this little point right here and you know that's a major thing Uh, this contour line has a little point on it Mm -hmm. instead just going in a straight line even the line itself you want to sit on that line or you see how that line turns into a little point you know it used to like go beyond people. You just got to go out here and sit. Well, now you got to go out here and sit on that point or the inside turn or the outside turn, put yourself in this key area. So you got to have a Navionics chip to, to actually fish Saginaw Bay real successfully. Cause you just don't go out there and drill holes. There's a lot of people that just still go out there and drill holes. It's overwhelming. And they still catch, that, that bay can yeah. be overwhelming. I mean, it's like a, it's like a white sheet of paper and it's just like, where do I start sometimes with, with like you're saying, right. if, if you're not learning how to use that Navionics chip or yeah. like you said, you're that ice fishing vacation school that you're talking about. Can yeah. you talk more about what that is? Cause some folks, I know you're yeah. re- I know you're referencing it here, but a lot of people probably don't know what that is. Well, um, that school started back on Lake Winnebagosh, right off of Highway 2 in Minnesota, uh, by uh, Gary Roach and Al Winder back in the day, 30 years ago, I'd say. Well, maybe a little more than 30 years, but I've, I've had it, been had my fingers into it for 30 years right now, and uh, they asked me to um, I was the fledgling, like we started talking about yep, earlier, yep, yep. and I got onto Mr. Walleye Specialty, and Gary, Gary had that school running. You know, it wasn't a school for people; it was our students. It was a school for outdoor writers to, again, will revert back to show off the sponsors' products and how they work. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to show the media how the sponsors' products work in the winter time. You know, so we had wintertime sponsors on top of summertime sponsors, you know. So now we're, we're taking them out and showing how their products work and they're getting pictures of it and they're taking it back to their audiences, these outdoor writers, and their audiences see us catching fish on these products. And, well, they got to have it. Well, now they know how to use it 
that's why they want it. So that's how these schools started. These schools started for the media, and and uh, we go out and catch walleyes, play perch, you know, and and have a little fish fry afterwards after the weekend was over with, and and we do this every year up there. And finally, you know, it got overwhelming for those guys, and they had just too many things to go on and and this and that, and said, Mark, you want to take this back to Michigan? You can have it. You know how to run it. You know how to do it. And when I got a hold of it and I started inviting the outdoor raiders over here, I think our first event was um, on uh, Beta Knock, and we had – 75 p students and that was way too many we okay. just had a cut you know we learned we had learning because now the outdoor writers that had attended in minnesota started saying stuff to us like well our readers and writer you know our readers and listeners and viewers um they they want to how can they be part of this could you guys do that and I said, well, yeah, I guess I, I have to have my own pro staff, you know, kind of like Gary had me at, to take outdoor writers out, and Gary had so you a can whole accommodate bunch of everybody, right? He had a whole bunch of other people like me, you know, that you know, that some are still around too, and we, yeah, we could be, uh, you know, take people and take them out and get them out there and do it safely and get them out there and get them back, and they are educated. Um, you know, when they get done with the school that they, you know, the outdoor writers have learned so much. My outdoor writer media friends have learned so much over the years and how to fish and, how, you know, how to write the stories. And if they go somewhere else by themselves or with somewhere else, someone else, they they don't feel as lost or, or handcuffed. Um, you know, so now these, these schools, like I said, started on Winnebagosh. I brought them back to Little Beta Knock. They went to Houghton, Hancock. We've been all over the UP, Lake Gogebic, uh, and a few other spots. And then I started bringing them down. Saginaw Bay has always been in it. We had Mitchell and Cadillac and we had, um, you know, a lot of other, other places, uh, Houghton Lake, um, and uh, Burt Lake, and we've done a, done a bunch of other lakes over those 30-some years, and we've just been teaching, um, you know, the outdoor writers, you know, some of them change every year, some of them don't, and some of the students, uh, quite a few of them change, and some of them don't. Some of them want to learn how to fish this kind of lake and how to fish this kind of, like Saginaw, it's best for people to get into my school because, Safety is first, and and you got to know how to read Saginaw. Oh Saginaw yeah, you get trouble a, trouble pretty quick out there. Right, right, and and I have the pro staff that think really good, and they're we're always observing what's going on, and we can make split decisions like right now um, on safety and where the fish are, and you know the, just the people. Um, in the, the, the pro staff I have, I can't say enough about them. I can't say enough about them people. They're, they're the lifeblood of the school because they're as good as I am, you know, and they've learned so much by doing, we all learn, not just the students learn, not just the media learns, but we all learn every school. It's a school for all of us. 
and we learn from students, the students learn from us, but we have advanced knowledge of a lot of things um, going on that allow us to conduct everything safely and be successful, but we still learn things from everybody because we have discussions every night at the dinner table of what did you do, Tom? What'd you do, Sally? What'd you do, Jim? You know, and everybody gets to hear what everybody did, what they caught, where they, who they fished with. And, well, geez, tomorrow when we go into the bait shop to get a scoop of minnows, we better get a jig and rapala. Well, we better get a Cleo. We better get a buckshot spoon, you know, because now they hear what everybody caught. Well, that's good. They just don't hear it from you, too, because they can relate to each other. You know what I mean? It's like, well, of course, they can't be like, well, of course, Mark caught some. You know what I mean? They could be like, oh, well, you learned how to do it, too. That's awesome. Right, exactly. And now when they leave that school and you talk to some of my students, they are confident to go, well, we're going to go to, uh, oh, let's see, where are we going to go tomorrow? We're going to go over here to um, Muskegon Lake. Well, they may have never been on Muskegon Lake, but they're not, not intimidated no more. Right. They know from the teachings that and the pro staff that they haul out their Navionics app, they look at it and go the night before with their buddy, so they do it safely. Well, we're going to launch right here with our vehicles, and boy, at this point, look at that. That's just like the school taught us right here, and look at right over here, and look at right over here. Hey, now we got a game plan, and they planned it all around the kitchen table. They didn't plan it once they got there out on the ice and go, oh, look at that group of people over there. Let's go horn in on them. Oh, that group of people, let's go horn in on You don't have to do that no more. Once you go to our schools, we teach you how to be your own thinker. And if you want to go and investigate what they're doing, you don't. You can go, oh, okay, I see what they're fishing because now you got a Navionics map, and you don't want to get involved in all them people because they're going to chase the fish down the structure one way or the other and you can go okay i think we better go down okay that group of people they've chased the fish a lot maybe let's why don't you go to this end of the group way way over here on that point that they're not even fishing nobody around there look at over there on the other side of that group over there look at that underwater point over there too nobody's fishing that i bet they've chased the fish one way or the other let's go find out and Either you're both going to be right or one's going to be right and the other one can follow the lead of the guy being right. And now we've taught you how to make decisions. If you want to see what the people are doing out there, at least use the people to your advantage. If you don't, you can think clearly on your own of what you do. And if you don't see fish, we teach you how to attract the fish into you. Uh, we, We teach you the proper... Uh, ways to read your Navionics apps. We teach you the proper GPS, how to use your GPS, how to use your flashers, how to use your liquid crystals, how to use a, your the tip-ups, how to use your jigging rods, how to s- set dead rods. I mean, I can go on and on and on. There, I mean, but when you leave the, the school, um, you're going to be a walking encyclopedia before you were like, Ah, oh, what do I do? What should I use? Uh, that's not even going to be a thought pattern no more. It's going to be um, something that you just do naturally. 
and and, and people can just go online and, and sign up for this, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, and I'm going to be putting this stuff up in the next few weeks. Okay. I, I'm just I just got um, Houghton Lake done today. Um, I'm working on um, Saginaw right now. I'm pretty much done with it, but I want to make sure the chamber is cool with it because you don't want to bring a whole bunch of people in and right. they're not ready ready for you. Yep. Um, and so Houghton Lake is the only one I really have done, but I don't have it on the calendar yet. And that was going to be the first part of uh, January here. And I'll give you the date on that. Um, that is uh, that is uh, January 6th, 7th, 8th, and 9th, starting at noon on Sunday and uh, closing down on noon on Wednesday at Houghton Lake. And they can go on to uh, Mark Martin's Fishing Vacation School here shortly, see the dates and see all the, the for instances and everything like that of what, what, what we got going. Okay. And to bring it full circle real quick, one last thing I want to get into is, you know, you told me about you've been, you know, learning the business side of Gary Roach, being an, you know, adapt to the the business and the industry. It's kind of come full circle because now you're doing Mark Martin's Outdoor Adventures, right? Which is on YouTube. <laughs> Yep. Yep. You know, it, YouTube. It's and kind of Facebook. funny. You know, if you think about where you started and where you're at now, I mean, I bet you back then you never would have dreamed that you're going to be on this this imaginary cloud called YouTube and putting out videos. But tell us a little no. bit about what you're doing now, so people can uh, keep up to date with you. Well, I got Mark Martin Outdoor Adventures. It's on YouTube and on Facebook. Mark Martin Fishing. Go to my Facebook page. Uh, there'll be another one coming up here anytime, right? Maybe even today. Uh, my editor and producer is getting one out, and it's uh, you know I travel all around Michigan um, and wherever basically, and talk about the outdoors. The outdoors is one big adventure. Um, you know, I, I do, I do beekeeping now I do hunting. I, I got, I got fishing on there. I got a little bit of everything for everybody. We're going to do, um, we had half hour segments here. We're going to cut them down to five minute segments and maybe do them one or two times a week, maybe at least once. So we'll have another one coming up. And then, uh, what I got, you know, I mean, you know, it's cool is I got my own pro staff now, and I used to be on Gary Roach's pro staff, and he taught me how to, to do it. And what I'm doing with my pro staff is teaching them they want to be like me or get into my kind of work. Uh, it gives them an opportunity to get the, the feel of it, you know, and, and see if that's right for them or not right for them. Um, you know, it's a lot of work, but if you really want to be in this business, it's always going to be a lot of work. And, you know, coming, coming up, uh, in the next, uh, Oh, here on the 8th of September, I have, uh, the sportsman for youth and I got a bunch of my pro staff there that are going to be conducting seminars for the kids and, and also the adults that are there. So, cause you got to teach the kids and you got, but you got to teach the adults so they can teach their kids. If they didn't remember what you said, yeah. once they go, go out, you know, and they can shoot guns at this place. They shoot bow and arrows. They can shoot, throw knives. They can throw hatchets. They can, you know, they got taxidermy going on tree climbing. They got rock walls. They got, you name it. 
uh, if you can do it in the outdoors, they got professionals right there at every booth to show the kids how to do these events safely. And they got certified people at every event. There's firemen, policemen, sheriffs, DNR, uh, trout pond. I mean, I, I know that I'm missing a whole bunch of stuff, but we're going to conduct seminars there, my pro staff and myself, and teach people a little bit more. And then come on the 15th on the September I don't know if this, this is pretty cool. I, I am. I have a little bit of Irish in me, and the Irish around here knew it. They got Irish American Hall of Fame here in Muskegon. They're inducting me into the Hall of Fame on the 15th. They got the Irish American Festival here in, in Muskegon, which is a pretty big festival here on the 15th and 16th of September, but they're inducting me on the 15th. So now I have. The Freshwater Dude. Fishing Hall of Fame. I got the Michigan Outdoor Writers Hall of Fame. I'm, I'm like, wow. You know, I'm, I'm kind of overwhelmed. You I kind of <laughs> dig that one because I got, I'm, I'm a little Irish too, and you know, that's something to strive for. I'm trying to get into that Irish Hall of Fame. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you, you will. There, there, that's cool, maybe man. Come over here and see the festival. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, congratulations on that. Well, thank you very much. You know, and that's. There we go, revert back, and and because of the teachings of my mentors, yep, it's probably the reason why I am there today is because, you know, yes, I learned a lot about fishing. I made a lot of mistakes in fishing. I've, you know, but I've taught and helped. You know, I'm not getting up on a pedestal now, but I know through my teachings in my writings in my everything that I do it's geared towards getting more people involved in the outdoors and people have noticed that and that's you know how how you further yourself to you know I guess the the I reached more than my dreams I'm blessed Lee, I'm I'm really blessed when people ask me. I don't look at, at it like, you know, I'm a snob. I look at it as I ran into the right people at the right time. They taught me how to conduct myself and people noticed that I was a good teacher and has helped me get into the Hall of Fame. I mean getting into the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame you know, that choked me right up, you know, and now getting into all these other Hall of Fames, just, it chokes me up too that, you know, I, I don't consider myself at that level, but other people do. You oh, know, yeah. I don't, I don't put myself there. I don't put myself, I kick that pedestal out from underneath me if I ever think about it, because I walk on the same level as everybody else. And I always want to, and if I can help people, and that's why I'm doing your podcast here today. Is I was just about I to say, touch, touch that, somebody. That's why you are, you know, as good and, a, and such a staple in the industry as you are. You're taking the time, you know, look at almost two hours out of your day to talk to me, <laughs> who's, you know, you've probably never heard of me before. So, you know, that's that's awesome. And I think, like, you know, to come full circle, you got your hands in everything. You're not just your forte is walleye fishing, but you're you're a promoter of the outdoors and there's a lot of people not only in the state of Michigan that look up to you but all, all throughout, you know, the United States and everywhere else. So, 
thanks for coming uh, on and uh well thank you, know. you lee appreciate it and uh you know hopefully uh our paths will cross real soon and we can get together and experience the outdoors together yeah sounds good man hopefully have you on again soon okay take care lee thanks mark that's an episode right there that is an episode i could talk to mark uh all day long he's just an easy dude to talk to and a fountain of knowledge Remember to head over to markmartins.net to check out more information about Mark and uh, more about his fishing vacation school, ice fishing vacation school. And uh, if you're interested in that, get yourself signed up. All right, last reminder. If you have that question for the next guest or you have things that you want to uh, have me dive into, remember to head over to freshwaterbite.com and on the contact me page, just type a message and they'll send an email directly to me and we'll feature you on the next episode and remember to follow me on instagram and as always thanks for listening